0: Hello, you fool. I love you. Come on, join the Joyride.
1: Hello and welcome to the Joyride podcast. John is my name. And Ian is my name. And we come to you on Sunday the 20th. 5th of April, just had to check there, 2021. It may be later than that when you're listening. But um, it is just over five years since Prince passed away. And with a week where the news has just been generally terrible, apart from um, the verdict in the George Floyd murder trial, um, I think we should take a moment to remember Prince because probably his last great cultural moment was his song Baltimore yes um, which obviously it, it predated the George Floyd instance but um, reflected on some of the Black Lives Matters issues that were going on in America in 2016 would that have been 2015 when Baltimore, 16, yeah yeah um, so yeah so we should take a moment to remember Prince because even though he's known for his uh, probably slightly more lascivious more party-driven songs, maybe. Um, he still had a very much a, a social message that he could give us, too.
0: I mean, Baltimore is a political song, but it's also an absolutely amazing song, too. Really good song.
1: Baltimore. Yeah. yeah.
0: So for, that mean, be, so for that to be his last proper single he released while he was alive, it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, me and you are not um, doyens of the nightclub world, but you if said, you I- put that
0: <laughs> you put that on in a nightclub and you could get down to it yeah absolutely well you and I would and everybody else were like what is this what is this rubbish <laughs> it's got a tune what is this
1: <laughs> uh, but yeah I think I mean we're, Prince was a very special artist and we've spoken about him before on this podcast um but yeah it's hard to believe that five years have passed
0: well, it's that year where, like, all the celebrities died, when, like, Alan Rickman died and uh, David Bowie died at the start of the year. And there was just a, a litany of famous people. Did Teddy Wogan not die that year as well? I was slightly lower level than Prince. But that doesn't feel like five years ago. No, it doesn't.
1: It doesn't. And it's the only one, I think. No, I've had two. I think you've had two as well. I know, well, you've had at least two. And the, Michael Jackson had a huge impact, I think, when, when, when he died. Like... Celebrities and famous people pass away quite, I mean, they obviously pass away regularly. um, And for some people, like when David Barry passed away, I mean, it was sad, but it had no personal impact on me whatsoever. It had on every single other person in the whole of Britain, apparently, Mm -hmm. but but not on me. Um, But when Prince died, uh, and then later on that year, George Michael died, yeah. And both of those
0: deaths were were kind of like, oh wow, they're they've been huge parts of. Didn't Carrie Fisher die as well, like a day after George Michael? Yeah, she did. Yeah, and that's our Which... childhood right there. You've got Prince, George Michael, Princess Princess Leia, <laughs> Carrie Fisher, all passing away, and Alan Rickman as well, who's a big part, Chef from Nottingham, and obviously later the Harry Potter franchise. But yeah, yeah they were the ones that really. I mean, I felt sad that David Bowie was gone as well, but not in the way that people like that one seemed to be the one that everybody I don't know if it was just people being cool, but that seemed to be the one that everybody cared about the most. I think I felt, much, pretend, I felt much worse when Rickman went than Barry. I think they pretend I think there was two things with the Barry uh,
1: passing is that the first one was he released an album the day before, yeah that's or right. something like that. So, so there was a cultural moment of ooh, new David Barry album slash oh he's he's passed away and also David Barry is the go-to cool person Mm. like you know Prince I mean which is weird because Prince had times of fashionability and not you know being very much on the outs of fashion but Barry until this which to be honest I've never heard the final album but between the final album and 1983 David Barry did not produce one piece of decent
0: music well, I mean, you say that, but you know, the soundtrack to Labyrinth. Come on! But again, that was what nine eighty six,
1: something like that. I mean, you he could say it. absolute beginners in eighty seven, maybe.
0: He'd a, few, well. he'd a few. He'd oh, a few. I I kind of bought a couple of his albums in that time you're talking about, but it was very much if you're talking about good Bowie stuff, you're talking sort of mid to late seventies, not his output in the nineties or the early two thousands. Which is what, that last album, I mean, I, I I don't think I've ever listened to it all the way through. But that one got a lot of critical acclaim because he just passed away, obviously, the week that it was released. But um, I don't know. I think we just took Prince for granted because he just produced so much stuff.
1: Yeah. And he was so, he didn't age in a way that, you know, like it was funny that, not funny, but there were ex- almost exact contemporaries in that Jackson and Prince, they were the same age. Yeah. Uh, and yet... Prince didn't have any kind of surgery and yet never aged whereas Jackson completely changed his person you know physical appearance oh. was the peter pan of pop yes. uh, but but it was it was somehow prince that seemed arrested in time he he, he didn't change he could still dance the same way mm. he could when he was in his 20s he could still
0: his- dance the same way he could still sing because michael jackson's voice changed as well towards the end. his voice went weird probably because of his surgery um and as much as I always try to say that that Invincible album was good, compared to his earlier stuff, it wasn't. No. Whereas Prince churned out, I mean, he, he was almost too prolific in that he'd bring out an album every year, practically, and there'd be some good stuff and some not so good stuff on it. But if, he'd, if he released as many albums as Jackson, if he'd only released maybe about five or six solo albums, they would have been solid gold.
1: Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, you say that Invincibles compared to his other output wasn't as good. Invincible compared to Bewitched Output <laughs> it wasn't really very good, if we're all honest about it. Fair enough. But, uh, but the thing is, but Prince had some albums that were absolute stinkers as well, but, but he was still capable of, of, of genius in the same way Jackson probably was as well, to be fair. But, he was, but I think one of the things with Prince more so than, more so than Jackson is that Prince didn't need anybody else. Often other people actually improved him because you know the the revolution kind of pushed him, and you know as did the new power generation would push him. But without Quincy Jones, without Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, Jackson would have still been a great artist, but perhaps not quite at those heights. He needed collaborate collaborators. Yeah, in a way that uh, that Prince just didn't. Um, you know, and I think it's—I think it's happened every time since his death. I think, but and I don't remember it happening previously to his death. But sometimes it does snow in April. It snowed in April every year since he passed away, which I think is very odd. Uh, which yeah. might be might be my favorite Prince song,
0: by the way. Really? Mm, I love. Sometimes it snows in April. Wow! I thought "Betcha, Betcha, Betcha By Golly, Wow!" was your favorite Prince song. Well, that's not even a Prince song, is it? No, that's not really.
1: No, 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 no. um, no. I mean, obviously, the what was it, the Rainbow Children <laughs> that was
0: obviously a seven collection people. of songs. That <laughs> there was one, good, and then this is turning into a music podcast, but like there's one good song I think called Muse for the Pharaoh on that album, which is quite good. But the rest mm. is the problem with that album was I don't know why, but Prince decided to record his vocals and then put them at a much lower. Level so that they were like, 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 like the tone was lower. So it all sounds like the, a lot of his vocals sound like like a kidnapper phoning up the victim's <laughs> family. You know, like when Mel Gibson was in that film, when his son got kidnapped. I remember <laughs> what, it was what was that film called? Ransom. Ransom. Yeah, Ransom. But that's what he sounds like. It's all like, <laughs> the rainbow children. It's like, come on, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that, Prince? You've got a beautiful voice. Why are you doing that? What is going on? But no, I've—I mean, every so often I put because it's on Spotify. I tried Rainbow Children, and it's like there's two, maybe two or three songs that are alright. Most of it, I mean, the, I think the song Rainbow Children lasts about 14 minutes. That's a problem. <laughs> it is every song lasting 14 minutes is a problem? I mean, unless it's like a soundtrack to a film, you should a song shouldn't be more than 10 minutes. That's just ridiculous. I mean, to be fair, songs should rarely be more than four minutes. I always, when I'm looking at an album and if I'm trying to pick something to listen to and I see like a song's like five and a half minutes, I think I'm, I can't commit to that. That's far too long. It's like, Although,
1: looking at,
0: it's like looking at films. Like if a film lasts more than 90 minutes, you're like, oh, and now yeah. like even like cheap crap films tend to last about 100 minutes because that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I don't think you're a fan, but
1: I'm going to make a defense because he did pass away this week, but Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell album is set. Meatloaf didn't pass away, by the way. Jim Steinman yeah. did. The didn't writer, I didn't
0: know that. Yeah, right.
1: But the writer of Battle of Hell died this 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 week, and um, Battle of Hell is only seven songs long, but yet I think it's about forty minutes in length as an album. So all songs but one, I think, are over five minutes. And oh, um, is that good? Or is that is that a good thing? It's not a good thing in general, but. Bat Out of Hell. I think I don't know how highly Bat Out of Hell's regarded. It's one of those weird albums. It's just kind of a cultural I've, moment.
0: I've never heard the album Bat Out of Hell. Wow.
1: Because it's sold. Like when you get in the top 10 albums of all time, it's it's up there in one of the top 10 albums of all time. I think it was in the British charts for about seven years continuously yeah. after release. Um, it's full of bombast and it's just massively over the top. Um, incredibly theatrical but but this, I don't know I think the thing with Jim Steinman was there was no archness to him there was no raised eyebrow it wasn't like the darkness or even Queen you mm. always got a sense with Queen there was a bit of a raised eyebrow that they were kind of being a bit over the top but let's all get in on the joke I think with Jim Steinman he was like he was essentially a fantasy novelist mm. but who could write six minute songs right and, and you know how fancy novels when they properly commit just to the stupid world in which they're they've created this random weird world that created it can be kind of magical well absolutely and that, that's what Bat Out of Hell is actually I think to me Bat Out of Hell 2 much less so but Bat Out of Hell itself is is a fine bit of, of um of entertainment well obviously. I'm looking
0: forward to listening to the Bulgariad album when it's finally released <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh dear yes indeed uh, i think we yeah i mean i mean certainly we've gone into that I, I mean it wasn't me that did it but we've gone into the realms of fantasy i think almost as a way of hiding from the world maybe this week
0: i think so i don't know um it feels like there's been more passion and debate and interest about line of duty online than there has about politics Yes. It's weird, given all the stuff that's been happening in the world of politics this week, but at like most like kind of controversy that I've seen are people discussing the twists and turns of this season's Line of Duty.
1: Which I think is, might be the fact is that we actually genuinely love the three main characters in Line of Duty, whereas with this, there's no passion. I don't believe there's passion for any of our politicians. No. Like, I know the Tories are 11 points clear, but it's just due to the fact that there's a vaccine there. I don't think it's anything to do with the individuals no. involved. In the same way that for a long time, people liked Tony Blair and they even liked David Cameron. And, you know, people loved Jeremy Corbyn. Um, I mean, no one loves this cast of characters, I don't think.
0: Whereas we do love Steve, Kate and Hastings. That's true. I I, mean, I, I found that, and we've not really told much about Line of Duty. Um, no. I really liked this week's episode, but I came away from it quite confused. I felt like there was far too much. They kept mentioning people's names and I had to keep pausing and going on Wikipedia and looking who each of those characters were. Because I couldn't... And it was treating you like you'd watched all five seasons last week. They kept mentioning names. I was like, who's that again? Who's Is that Jamie from The Thick of it? Is that What's his character called? And I had no idea. So I decided this week that I was going to go back and start watching Line of Duty from the beginning again. Mm. So I've watched the first like three episodes from season one. And it's funny how much of the most recent episode there's little seeds being planted, even in the first three episodes of the first season. There's a name like Ian like Ian Buckles. I don't remember him. But he's been mentioned in like the second or third episode. Really? Yeah. There's a bit when um um when um Lenny James' character is being suspected of dodgy dealings, as almost happens in Line of Duty. And he gets taken off the case, and he says to somebody, oh, who's who's taking over my case then? Who's taking over the Jacqueline Laverty case? And someone says, oh, it's a Ian Buckles from somewhere else. I was like, whoa, Ian Buckles? I didn't know that. So all these characters, and there's other characters as well that have been named that are from quite recent episodes. So it's quite funny going back and watching the first series again, because you see that Jed McCurry was obviously... I don't think he was laying the, the, you know, the seeds of Ian Buckle's being quite an important character by the time you get to season six. But it's just funny that he obviously has immersed himself in that world so much that he's able to like pull back characters that he has. Je- it's not just like throwing a new character in. This is a character that was mentioned in the second or third episode of the first season. Wow. And, seeing, and seeing Ryan, who is a despicable character, but seeing him as a wee boy in the first, I forgot he, he's in the first series. He's like a wee boy that like. An old man beats up, and it's funny. I completely forgotten all that. Yep. Yeah, I remember him sitting. He sits in an interview room at one point,
1: doesn't it? Doesn't he? And they're trying to interview him, and he just won't speak to them. Yeah. Sure, there's that scene, but um, yeah, and there's a there's a policeman who likes him, who tries to sort of do right by him. I think is he a young Asian
0: policeman? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But something must have happened to him. I'm sure. Uh- I've not got but, to that yet, but yes, that's just about to happen, that I am just
1: now. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's an incredible show in the fact that it does that, and it, and I think it's that way that, I mean, novels do it, don't they? If you read a series of novels, they expect you to know somebody from, you know, book three, if you're on book seven, yeah. you know, expect you to immerse yourself in that world, like you say, and and... It's going to be one of the joys, I think, for me is I, I don't have the chance. I mean, like you, you've only managed three episodes of season one. Um, I'm not going to have time to re-watch before the finale of this series. Um, but I will, I think, one of my main thoughts is that there'll be no decent television on the line of duty finishes. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch it all from start to finish and just go all the way through. Because I have a suspicion that... Um, this is the last series. Yeah. This is Absolutely. it. And I only have that in the sense that there's been more callbacks to series one to five than they have for all the other ones. Mm-hmm. As if they're bringing it to a close. Yeah, it does have that kind of feeling, doesn't it? Um, I, but I, I do have to say, I, I loved... I mean, she's a despicable character, but... oh, well, not really. She's just a bit of a jobs worth, But you- when... I know what Maxwell Martin's character just walks onto the screen. It was like, Professor some coming back to Hogwarts. It's like, oh, I I hated you. (laughs) Yeah. Just, she revels in the fact that she's dislikable. I I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, and I think that, you know, we've given people a week. If you're a line of duty viewer and you like line of duty, you'll have watched this episode already that we're talking about. Episode five, I think it is of, of the most recent season. And, um, when they're going through the computer, when Chloe, the young uh, the, the young DC in, in AC twelve, is going through and giving the presentation. And then they click on the next slide, and up comes Jimmy Nesbitt's face. <laughs>
0: that was amazing. I had a moment there, but I was like, has James Nesbitt been in that? And I did at first I was like, because the first time they showed him, they de-aged him slightly, because it was meant to be a slightly younger James <laughs> Nesbitt. So I was like, First of all, at that moment, when I, was, I was like, is that James Nesbitt? Yeah, I think it is. Because then they showed him looking like James Nesbitt looks now on a boat. Yeah, I was like, is James Nesbitt, has he been in this? Because he's been in other, obviously he's been in other <laughs> Jed Mercurio productions. Yes, I was like, was James Nesbitt in this before? So that was, I mean, the fact that like just two episodes before the end, or three episodes before the end of this season, possibly the entire series, you just suddenly drop a James Nesbitt bomb on us.
1: Because the brilliant thing is we've had so many investigations now when they said, well, the senior officer in that investigation was, and it could be Thandie Newton's character. It could be um, Stephen, no, sorry. Yeah, Stephen, Stephen Graham's character from last series. It could be Lindsay Denton, Keeley Hawes' character. Like Lenny James obviously could have easily been called back
0: for that, you know. Uh, and you go back through all these different characters. It could have been. Do you remember who Lenny James was having an affair with in the first season? Cause I'd forgotten it was her. It was Jackie Laverty, wasn't it? Do you remember the actress though? It's um.
1: Oh, this is not good. Gina McKee, that's the one. I'd forgotten it was her. Completely forgotten. Yeah. It was Gina McKee. Yeah. No, it's because because I think the thing is, I'm very, I consider myself quite fortunate in that. I've been a Lenny James's fan of long standing, so when the first series of Line of Duty was about to start and actually I loved Adrian Dunbar as well from the near room 1995 film set in Glasgow with James McAvoy's first appearance ever in 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 television or film Um, but I was a fan of both of those so just as it happened I watched the very first episode as as it came on so I've been there right from the start nice uh watching it all the way through so yeah so I do kind of have but what my trouble is, I can remember season one relatively well. But because Keeley Hawes is in two series, I kind of think that entire series lasts much longer than it does. Yeah. And I forget all the stuff, yeah. all the other stuff that's not Thandie Newton.
0: But it's still... I don't know anything that happened in that series apart from that. Even though I've seen the first series, it's still very watchable because you forget so many details of it. Yeah. And it's just as tense watching it the second time as it was the first time. Um, so I would, it's, and it's all on iPlayer just now. It's all there on iPlayer. You can go back to the start and watch episode one, uh, which is what I've been doing this week. And I'll probably, I mean, like you, there's no way I'm going to get five seasons watched before next weekend, before the finale. But you know, try. You know, try and watch as much as I can. <laughs> but given that I've managed the episodes this week, I don't think I'm going to manage. There's like 30 episodes or something like that to catch up on. It's not happening. Is Owen Teal in it right from the start? Owen Te- I get, yes, again, the very start is Steve Arnott's botched terrorist arrest. Do you remember that? Where they yeah. kill somebody and it turns out the number on the door was wrong. Well, Steve Arnott's superior officer is Owen Teal, which I completely which, forgot. Which is a really small part t- well, Owen Teal. Teal kind like, can, of he he's in and out about a wee bit because like, Owen Teal tells all the officers to lie in their statement. And that's when Steve's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell the truth. And then he ends up at AC 12. And every now and then it comes back to this court case and how the officers are like changing their statements to like blame Steve Arnott. And it's Owen Teal that tells. So he's in it a wee bit, but it's such a small part for somebody like Owen Teal.
1: Hmm.
0: But I forgot, I, I couldn't, because they kept showing Owen Teal. And I was like, I, I'm sure he has been in this before, but I couldn't remember if it was right from the start. But he's five minutes into the first episode. There's Owen Teal. Yeah. it's it's a, It's a tremendous bit of television. Um, really. Yes. And if you if you want to escape the just the horrors of today's politics and news, go on iPlayer and watch Line of Duty from this. I mean, I imagine most people listen to this have probably watched it. It's like when we're, we're talking about, it's like as if we're going, like, there's this Beatles album called Sergeant Pepper. You should really listen to it, guys. You should really check it out. There's this article by Michael Jackson. He did this album called Thriller. I don't know if you've heard of it. That's kind of what we're doing. There's this, there's this fantasy program called Game of Thrones. It was really good at the start. You should go and watch it. Yeah.
1: But you know the best thing about This is why Line of Duty is so important and why I'm going to get on a bit of a high horse again. Why the BBC is so important is about 4 million people on average watch Game of Thrones mm. in Britain. Whereas we're up at 11 and 12 million people watching Line of Duty, plus all the people that have watched it on Netflix. Yeah. You know, that are catching up with it. That's,
0: it's still over 10 million people are watching it, even though we're in season six. It's mental. Yeah. And yeah, Game of Thrones is the biggest TV show in the world, but it, like it would, it would kill... Certainly not in America, but they would yeah. kill for those UK viewing figures. Yeah, and it's, that's the thing. Is I, think, I
1: think Line of Duty is the one programme, really, that we can, in terms of drama, that we can throw up there against any HBO drama and say, we've got the equivalent, we've got as good as anything you can throw as Because, you know, things like Dark Materials, um, which is a phenomenal piece of television, Dark Materials, it's co-produced with HBO. So yeah. it's kind of like a, that's where, you know, it's, it's combined together. But as purely a British thing, it's the best thing we've had for years. and agree.
0: Completely agree. Um,
1: speaking of g- hiding away, or, or sorry, retreating and escaping from the horrors of, of politics, something that we can look forward to in the coming week is, is the return of Alan Partridge to our TV screens. Yeah, again,
0: I didn't know that was coming so soon. No, it kind of crept up on me. Yeah, I saw an advert for it last week and I was like, is that a repeat of the first? Well, oh, no, this is a new series, wow. I mean, it seems a bit ridiculous that he's still working with that woman given that last episode with the IRA sympathiser singing that folk song. <laughs> <laughs> he's still there with her years later. Still <laughs> That's amazing, that episode when Coogan plays that guy <laughs> the Alan Partridge look-alike. <laughs>
1: Bring out your black and tans. It's an amazing bit of television. When's, <laughs> that, on? When's that on? Friday at nine thirty. Right. So uh, Very much something to look forward to. Uh, how is the? I mean, yeah, I don't think we'll go too much longer. How is the um, lockdown
0: treating Scotland? Is it? Is it receding? Are you?
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, mean, I'm. I don't know because I still my lifestyle hasn't changed since Christmas. Really, I just I've been working from home entirely. I've not been going out very much. Kids are back at school full time this last week. They started back. Um, the figures look pretty good in Scotland. You're looking at maybe a couple of hundred new cases a day. If there's a death, it's maybe like two or three deaths every couple of days. So, I mean, the, the numbers are really really low. Um, we are as of tomorrow. Anyone. I think this isn't the case in England as well, but as of tomorrow in Scotland, any adult can order a box of tests to do. Mm. Because they're now, obviously, our, our kids are doing two tests a week, and the teachers and the staff in the school are doing two tests a week. But they're now opening that up to any adult that can't access tests through work or college or school. So as of tomorrow, I can go online to the NHS and order a box of, I think it's 10 tests you get, maybe it's nine, and you just go and pick them up at the chemist. So... I mean, to me, that seems like to me that seems like the most sensible thing to do because if we're all testing semi regularly, things that are opening up will hopefully stay open this time. But then again, I'm thinking you must be almost doing your second vaccine. Well, my mum and dad got theirs two days ago, and they were a few weeks behind me when they got theirs. So I reckon I probably get my second one in two or three weeks. You're yours yet? No, 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 no notice of mine yet. You're not bought uh, it are you? Of course, I forget.
1: No.
0: You're a whippet-snapper.
1: So I think, I presume it's going to be the, the I guess the second week in May would be my guess.
0: Well, if you look at the numbers across the UK just now, the, there's more people getting second doses just now than first, because mm-hmm. they're trying to get all the second doses out of the way before they move on to the next age group. So, yeah, I would yeah. think you'll be the maybe second or third week of May. You'll get done. Yeah, so it should just about come when um,
1: the next set of restrictions, we got May the 17th, uh, and it's pretty much written in stone now. And to be fair, the case levels mean that it probably will be. Yeah. Uh, you know, it doesn't look like the cases are going to rocket to an extent where they can't go to the next level of opening up on May the 17th. So uh, there could be some, I mean, they're, they're briefing in the newspapers today that, or yesterday rather, that face masks will be gone by midsummer.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, I had a couple of doctors on the news this morning saying that's not going to be the case. They were saying that for some places it might be the case, but they reckon for places like public transport and certainly some of the most shops, what they were saying was it might just be that it's not the law anymore and that some people will just choose to wear them rather than having to wear them. So. And,
1: and I think that's fair enough. I think that, I mean, to be honest, I really, I mean, I wear the masks because it's the law and it's also probably the right thing to do certainly it was it has been the right thing to do for the last six six to nine months probably the last 12 months still bamboozled about why we weren't wearing masks in the first lockdown but uh, apparently there was a lot of scientific according to the government there was a lot of scientific evidence to suggest that masks shouldn't be
0: worn during that time it would have actually make things worse. Well I think the evidence was that they didn't have enough masks for the NHS staff so they just thought let's just tell the punters they don't need them I think that's probably what the scientific evidence was. Scientists yeah. were saying listen we don't have enough masks for hospitals please don't tell people they need to wear them otherwise we will not have masks in hospitals. <laughs> that was the scientific evidence. Yeah true true. Uh, I do look for. Ball- I mean I do look forward to the day when I don't
1: have to wear a mask. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I don't like wearing a mask. I don't like the glasses steaming up. I don't like it. But if we have to wear it, we have to wear it. And if people feel more secure, like if I've had the vaccine, mm-hmm.
0: I'm not going to feel like I have to wear a mask. It, I mean, I've had, I got my vaccine about, about two months ago now. I don't know when I got mine, but your attitude does change like once you've had it a couple of weeks after it's like you know it's probably taking full effect I'm not saying that I was going around not caring because I I haven't really left the house I'm still working from home but it does take a little bit of the edge off the way you might feel going out and I can understand why folk who've had the vaccine would maybe think well I mean do I really need a I mean I suppose the idea is that the mask stops you spreading it as well as catching it but it's more to stop you spreading it and I don't know. There's, I mean, there's been kind of mixed messages this week. I've read some news stories that have said that there are there are, not quite pu- fully finished pieces of um, evidence to suggest that having the vaccine actually stops you from being infected entirely. So mm. it could be that having the vaccine would slow the spread. Because, I, I mean, my understanding was having the vaccine meant you didn't get ill. But it didn't stop it's... you getting it. But they're now saying there is a suggestion that the two main vaccines the pfizer one and the oxford one they might also like hugely decrease your likelihood to get infected at all so if that's the case then you probably don't need to be wearing a mask as much but i don't think that's the right
1: yeah and i think i think i mean the logic would suggest to me that if you're allowed people to come into your own house and therefore not be wearing masks It seems a bit odd to me that to nip into a... I mean, I presume they'll keep the plastic barriers up, and I think that's perfectly fine. I don't think we'll ever see those plastic barriers in shops come down again. Because if you think about it, those shop assistants who for years have been really potentially at risk of catching flu and all kinds of different colds and and, and, and other illnesses from the random people that they have to (laughs) walk past every day or who walk past them every day, I'm absolutely fine with the idea you keep them up.
0: Yeah. But um, – I hope they keep them up in restaurants and things like that. What, between tables? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wouldn't be against that. I mean, right now, I mean, when things – I mean, obviously, like, you and I – I mean, you can't really come up here just now, but if we went went somewhere for something to eat, we'd have to get a table where there was nobody around us. I quite like that. And I know that – I know, I understand for the hospitality industry, that can't carry on forever. That is one thing I wish we'd carry on because I love the idea of getting in and there's nobody sat around you. Um, I mean, to be fair, we often go to a restaurant where yeah, there aren't true. that many people near us. <laughs> we have deliberately... Because poli- the one time we went to that Five Guys place and it was busy, we were like, oh, there's people around us. can't eat. Yeah, can't we did eat. enjoy it. Can't even eat or talk, it was rubbish. It was too yeah. Noisy. It was but, noisy. Yeah, I think that it will... We,
1: I remember now, right? and it's almost it's halcyon days because it was sunny as well. Is last summer, uh, going to a seaside town, and um, it was the week before face masks came in, yeah. so you didn't have to wear them in shops at all. It was still that you know, when the government used to do this, where they'd say, In two weeks' time, we're gonna ask people to start wearing masks because, well. We don't we're not really sure why it's two weeks, but 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 it's very patient, it'll
0: wait two weeks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I remember being there and and actually it worked really well because you know you had these, you know, you couldn't go to a bar. I if you were in a pub, because there was only one real hatch you could go to to get drinks, you would go up to the to the bar, see that there's people at the hatch and go and sit back down again. Mm. Whereas you wouldn't have that mass queuing and jostling at the bar, which was quite a nice thing. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of rep- table service, which I'm not against. Quite like the idea of table oh. service in a pub or a bar. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was. It's funny to think now, is that to considering we're now in what April, and we're still in a form of lockdown now. Mm. Is that that was nine months ago, and there was virtually no restrictions
0: (laughs) i know it's mad it's crazy and you just worry i mean you see the footage the footage from india is heartbreaking i mean a couple of weeks ago it was brazil this week it's india and you think we're not out of this yet and this kind of slightly brexit selfish attitude of well we've vaccinated 50 percent of our population i don't think they understand that for it to work fully you need the world to be vaccinated not just britain because we, if we open up, we're opening up to the world. And if India's got a big problem and Brazil's got a big problem and other countries have big problems, we'll end up with it as well. Because a lot of these different strains, the one in India and the one in Brazil, we don't know, but it seems that the vaccines don't work against them or they're not as efficient. So if we continue to hoard, I mean, you, the numbers of vaccines, that it's like he's, he's addicted to buying vaccines. It's like we've just bought another 180 doses and you're like, why? We don't have that many people in the country. And it might not even work. Why are you buying that many? And then there's countries like <laughs> India have only been in. India, yeah. I know, I know. So they can go look at look at all the vaccines we've got. And poor India, they've got something like, like 8.3% of people in India have been vaccinated. And they've got a much bigger population than we do. Um, but I mean, did you see the stuff on the Channel 4 News this week? It's been on a lot of the channels, but it was like, it was the makeshift funeral pyres they've had to set up. I mean, it's like a war zone. It's really grim. So the idea that we're all going, yeah, we can all go and get ice cream and go to the pubs again, for now we can. But that's that's my worry, is that if we're too relaxed about things and we continue to hoard all the vaccines, it's going to come back and bite us in the bottom later on. But for now, we can look forward to hopefully some freedom in the summer. You and I may actually get to go to cinema in the next couple yeah. of months, which is an exciting thought, given we've not been to cinema oh. for about 14 or 15 months together.
1: yeah. I know, and, and it does look like I haven't looked. I've deliberately actually not looked about um, because I got overexcited. I think in the autumn, yeah. thinking that you know the schedules of what was going to be released and how you know oh, I could come up and see this film and I could watch that film and this is going to happen and that's going to happen. When actually, only Tenant was actually
0: released. You know of any of any. Let's, I think just wait and see, and if, when it opens yeah. up, we can look and be like, oh, we can go and see this film or that film. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, it's that British,
1: to come back to what you're saying about Indian stuff, it's that sense of British exceptionalism is, oh, look at us, we've got the virus, sorry, we've got the vaccine. But then if you look back at this, is that through no good judgment of our government, but think about the advantages that we had as a country, as a nation, uh, in that, you know, we have two of the greatest universities in the world. In, in Oxford and Cambridge. We have a well-developed uh, pharmaceutical industry. We have the greatest public health service in the world. We have uh, a mature democracy and we are an, we're rich, we're the sixth richest country in the world or something like that, our, our economy in the world, sixth biggest country economy in the world. And we're an island. Mm. We're an island so we can cut off our borders easier than anything on continental Europe, continental yeah. United States, etc., And still we've made so much of a mess of it. Oh. And, and yet we've done well on one aspect and we're acting like we are the bee's knees.
0: Yeah. Any time you know any of the other things they go, oh, well, do you want us to fail then? Do you want us to fail? That's the problem. I mean, we're not, we're going to have to stop. So but the, all these stories this week, about Matt Hancock and his sister and Boris. I mean, all the kind of cronyism stories. And there's loads of them now. But any time they ask Boris about it, I mean, he just keeps calling you a star Captain Hindsight. I mean, that wasn't funny 12 months ago when he was doing it. It's even less funny now. But he calls him Captain Hindsight. And then the other thing they go is like, oh, did you just want us to let people die then? Did you just just want us to just let the, the, the coronavirus run? We had to give out contracts quickly. It's like, yeah, you did. But you didn't have to do it to like Matt Hancock's hairdresser and the guy that owned Matt Hancock's local pub and all these other people. That's that's the problem. But that's the answer is always, well, you know, we are tight fast. Look at the vaccine program. <laughs> they always say that, look at the vaccine program. It's like that's got nothing to do with some of these companies that got contracts that shouldn't have got them. That's got nothing to do with the vaccine. But that's because the vaccine thing's going reasonably well. They just go, yeah, but look at the vaccine. <laughs> Never mind David Cameron. Never mind Rishi Sunak. Never mind Matt Hancock's sister. Fucking look at, look at the vaccine. We, we're vaccinating people. Look at India. They're rubbish. Never mind our death toll. <laughs> don't, don't, don't look at that. No. How dare you? How dare you judge us by our death toll when we're vaccinated 50% of the population? How dare you judge us
1: by having the worst economy in the Western world? <laughs> I mean, that's
0: the thing. Is on every level, on every level, they failed on every level. They've done badly. Oh. Apart from buying some vaccines, apart from mm. that, that, that every other level, the government's failed and fail. and will continue yeah. to fail. But you know, if uh, James Dyson wants to get it done, be fine. Yeah. If James Dyson well, wants to get the Super League going, it will happen. Well, I'll sort it tomorrow. Was it tomorrow? That was tomorrow. T O T-O-M-O. M O. Yeah.
1: You right, tomorrow. tomorrow. It's not hard. Predictive text now gives you tomorrow. Tomorrow. You write T O M
0: O into your phone. It's it will complete tomorrow. Yep. Absolutely. I know. Unless he's got an old Nokia. He's right now. T O O M M. Yeah, maybe <laughs> that's what he was doing. <laughs> Bye. It's the only
1: thought I've got that you know, because he's, he's supposed to have this phone number for years and years. Yeah. Maybe he's still got his Nokia thirty three ten. He loves snake, of course he does. He loves the fact that this was probably really good for all his extramarital affairs. He can only have 10 safe text messages at any one <laughs> time.
0: That's true. <laughs> it's perfect. It's like a it's like a it's like a burner phone. It's just a it's like it's a handmade burner phone. See, Morris <laughs> can have been a line of duty as well.
1: Oh dear, right. Anyway, listener, we will let you go on that sort of reminder that line of duty is on tonight at nine o'clock if you listen to this. Before then, if not, I hope you enjoyed Line of Duty at nine o'clock and um, hopefully this week will bring some better news. And in that sense, it might be worse news in that we fall deeper into crisis as a nation because there's some form of reckoning for all the deeds that have occurred. That's what we can hope for, I hope. Absolutely. Anyway, take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.